1: Gentlemen, Thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Home Capital Group First Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a brief question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to turn the call over to your speaker today mccray head of invest
0: relations please go ahead thank you amy good morning everybody and thank you for joining us today we'll begin the call with remarks from Yusri basada president and chief executive officer followed by a review of our financials by brad kodish chief financial officer with us on the call to answer your questions are ed carthouse evp of sales and marketing mike Forshey, evp of underwriting and funding Benji Katchen, Chief Digital and Strategy Officer, David Clough, Chief Risk Officer, and Victor DeRisio, Chief Information Officer. All our speakers are at different physical locations for this call, so please understand if our sound quality and response time are not at their usual level. Before we begin, I'd like to caution listeners that this conference may provide management with the opportunity to discuss financial performance and conditions of home capital. As such, these comments may contain forward-looking statements about strategies and expected financial results. Various factors could cause actual results to differ materially from results projected in forward-looking statements. Accordingly, the audience is cautioned against undue reliance on these remarks. Finally, a link to the slides accompanying this live webcast is available on our website at homecapital.com. Now I'd like to welcome Yusri Basada.
2: Good morning. Thank you for joining us for our Q1 2020 results conference call. We especially appreciate your participation today because we know everyone has a lot of important issues concerning them right now. The markets, the economy, their job, the health of their families, friends, and themselves. We share your concerns. To everyone listening today, we send our best wishes for your collective health and safety. I'll touch on the value of our purpose at home capital, our response to COVID-19, review some of the accomplishments during the first quarter, and finish with some thoughts on home's positioning as we emerge from lockdown conditions. There's nothing more important at this time than someone's home. It's our homes that are keeping us safe right now. Home is where we can be safe and look after our families. Home has become our workplace, our classroom, our gym, and so much more. More than ever, I'm proud of the work we do here to help people own homes. I'm also proud of the work we did to respond to the public health issues confronting us all. Our business continuity plan was up to date and regularly tested so that when we needed it, people hit the ground running. To put into action, we gave our people the tools and resources they needed to keep doing the important work of serving our customers from their homes. That included setting up our virtual private network so everyone had access to the data they needed, incorporating industry best practices around privacy and data security. For our employees, our leaders from IT, human resources, compliance, and risk management put measures in place to communicate with our people and ensure their safety and well being. Sales, underwriting, deposits, and operations quickly put in place processes to allow us to communicate with our customers and partners and complete transactions on their behalf. We put in place a crisis management team that meets daily to monitor and resolve issues arising in our business. We held regular webinars to both reach out to and support our mortgage brokers. We also had regular outreaches to employees through virtual town halls to address their questions and concerns. For our mortgage customers, We set up relief options to help those experiencing temporary financial stress. We increased hours of operations in our contact center and added information on deferral solutions and government programs to our website. This assisted us in providing answers to the thousands of questions and inquiries received from people who wanted to know if we could help them get through this stressful period. We want our stakeholders to know that we mean it when we say we are here to help. We entered this pandemic environment with a strong capital position. We were also well-positioned from a liquidity perspective with a high volume of liquid assets and relatively low balances of near-term liabilities. Our sustainable risk culture had set us up for a framework that would enable us to manage conditions of economic stress while providing high levels of service to our customers while continuing to work on our strategic initiatives, ensuring that people can continue to count on us, being able to help them with home ownership and building their financial future. Moving to Q1, our reported results show a quarter that started off strong with good progress on a number of key strategic elements. We started the year with an active housing market with regular strength in our major business area, where we saw meaningful growth in sales transactions. There was also a lot of opportunity to continue growing our commercial segment. As a result, We increased our originations in both residential and commercial loans during the quarter compared to Q1 last year. On the deposit side, Okun continues to grow both in terms of dollars and percentage of our overall deposit funding. While Okun stores are currently closed, existing and new customers are still able to transact online or over the phone. As we set out in our strategy, this demonstrates that we're now able to serve our customers using their own choice on how to interact with us.
3: We made good progress on Home Trust's Ignite program. During this quarter, we launched our new DASH system.
2: This stands for Deposit Automation System for Home, which is a straight through processing system for deposit originations. We set up best in class reporting to mortgage broker houses on business transacted with home through our advanced CRM system. We have had excellent feedback from our mortgage partners on this new reporting. In adapting to COVID-19, we set up DART, or Default Administration Robotic Technology. DART is a robotic process automation to assist in efficient processing of large volume of deferral requests that we received. Despite the demands on our people related to the change to a work-from-home model, we made sure that IGNITE is a priority. And the people working on it had the technology and resources needed to continue with our efforts. Our technology upgrades from 2019 have given us flexibility to address the operational challenge of dealing with COVID-19. We were able to move our people off-premise efficiently and without business disruption because we had migrated a substantial percentage of our banking system and data to the cloud throughout 2019. Similarly, Going paperless in our underwriting and funding groups last year enabled enabled a rapid transition to working remotely. We cannot know how long this period of self-isolation will last or forecast with certainty what the ultimate economic effects will be. What we do know is that we're here to help, and that we are very well positioned to offer that help. As we emerge from the lockdown conditions, whenever that happens, there will be a lot of new borrowers that have experienced a change in employment or income. Borrowers with varied and complex individual circumstances that require a more personalized approach to underwriting. This is exactly what we do. Not only do we have the expertise that comes from 30 plus years of experience in precisely this type of borrower, we have availability, liquidity, capital, and the strongest balance sheet in our industry. We're not just waiting for the conditions to return to normal. We are engaging with our customers and our partners, employees, and stakeholders. We are learning, building, and growing. We will continue to find better and more effective ways of meeting the needs of our customers while maintaining our sustainable risk culture. I will now turn
3: the call over to Brad to discuss the quarter in more detail. Thanks, Isri, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. As Yusri mentioned,
4: we've all been working hard under conditions without precedent in our times related to the COVID-19 global health crisis. The results from Q1 reflect the business conditions that prevailed during most of the quarter. However, changes to our forward-looking economic assumptions as of March 31st, largely as a result of COVID-19, impacted our expected credit losses. Any changes in forward-looking information subsequent to March 31, 2020 will be reflected in the measurement of ECL in future quarters as appropriate. This may add significant volatility to ECL. What is important to understand is that home capital is very well positioned with respect to liquidity, capital and risk management. We're confident in our capacity to navigate the current forecasted environment. Let me begin on slide 7. Overall, our increased revenue was offset by increased expected credit losses from COVID-19. Net income was $27.7 million, or $0.52 per share in Q1 2020, compared with $27.8 million, or $0.45 per share in Q1 2019, and $37.2 million, or $0.65 per share in Q4 2019. Adjusted net income of $29.9 million, or $0.56 per share in Q1 2020, up 14.3% from $0.49 per share in Q1 2019, and down 22.2% from $0.72 per share in Q4 2019. Book value per share increased by 9% to $29.44 as we reduced our shares outstanding by 15.1% from the first quarter 2019 through our $150 million substantial issuer bid completed in January of this year and the normal course issuer bids that were in effect throughout 2019 and the first quarter of 2020.
3: There's a breakdown
4: on slide 8 of the factors that contributed to the change in earnings per share compared with Q1 2019. Growth in net interest income contributed $0. $0.31 to the improvement. A reduction in shares outstanding added another $0. $0.06. The increased revenue was almost entirely offset by higher provisions for credit losses this quarter compared
3: with 2019, which reduced earnings by 33 cents per share. Slide 9 shows the adjustments to reported net income for the quarter. 2.2
4: million relate to the IGNITE program, including 1.7 million due to a change in the estimated life of some of our legacy assets. Our night program remains on track for its targeted completion date. Our originations for the quarter are shown on slide 10. Originations increased by 33% over Q1 of 2019. In the residential housing market, the months of January and February were normal with higher volumes expected in March with the advent of a strong spring selling season and an expected change in the benchmark rate used in the mortgage stress test. Towards the end of the quarter, sales activity in our major markets began to slow. Typically, changes in transaction volume will take some time to flow through to changes in funding volumes, so it is logical to expect originations in the second quarter to decline from past levels. Commercial originations grew by over 100% from 2019, with a lot of that growth coming from the insured multi-residential market. Our total loan portfolio as shown on slide 11, grew by 3.8% year-over-year. Our net interest margin, as shown on slide 12, was 2.38% for the quarter, compared to 2.31% last quarter and 2.01% in the first quarter of 2019. The increase in margin is largely attributable to lower costs on our funding liabilities, while the yield on our asset portfolio was slightly higher. With respect to our deposit funding, deposits from our Oaken channel, as shown on slide 13, grew by 14% year-over-year to reach nearly $3.5 billion in the quarter, or 25% of our total deposits. Once again, it is an important feature of our liquidity risk management that 85% of our Oaken deposits and 95% of all our deposits are in the form of term funding rather than demand deposits. We saw a slight net migration of demand deposits to term deposits during the quarter and that trend has continued into the second quarter. Slide 14 discusses our other funding strategies. Our initial RMBS has performed well in the marketplace and the credit maturity and prepayment maturity profile has performed in line with expectations. While market conditions have forced us to delay a second offering this quarter, we still plan to be a serial issue of RMDS and will return to this market when conditions are favorable. Subsequent to quarter-end, Home took a 30-day draw of $100 million from the Bank of Canada's standing term liquidity facility in order to test our ability to utilize this facility. Slide 15 highlights the characteristics of our loan book. Uninsured single-family mortgages originated in Q1 had a weighted average loan-to-value of 70.3%. The average loan-to-value across the portfolio of uninsured single-family mortgages was 61.3% both in line with levels reported at the end of 2019. The FICO score, formerly Beacon, of our classic single-family residential mortgage portfolio was 682 on originations during the quarter and 705
3: across the portfolio. Turning to a discussion of credit provisions beginning
4: on slide 16. Provisions increased to an annualized rate of 0.7% this quarter from an average of 0.12% for the last four quarters. We considered it necessary to take a substantial increase in provisions to reflect the change in macroeconomic assumptions resulting from COVID-19. The lower line on the graph shows net write-offs which remain in line with recent experience at three basis points of gross loans. As a result of the higher credit provisions this quarter, we ended with a $91.3 million allowance for credit losses compared with $62.4 million at the end of 2019. Slide 17 shows the allocation of the allowance among portfolio segments. The largest increases in allowance relate to the commercial mortgage and other consumer retail portfolios. As we turn to slide 18, you will see that almost 80% of the increase in allowance is allocated to loans in Stage 1 or Stage 2. Loans in these stages are not currently in default. Slide 19 shows our Stage 3 loans. Net non-performing loans are down from year-end levels to 36 basis points of total loans. Looking at the single-family residential portfolio, net non-performing loans are 31 basis points of gross loans, also below the year-end 2019 level. Coverage of gross non-performing loans has grown to 34.3% from 25.2% at the end of 2019. Slide 20 shows that we are managing liquidity by holding a sizable portfolio of liquid assets on our balance sheet. Further, we continue to manage our liquidity portfolio such that near-term loan maturities are in excess of maturing deposit liabilities. Our capital and leverage metrics are depicted on slide 21. Our leverage ratio is 7.03% compared to the regulatory minimum level of 3%. Our common equity tier one capital stands at 17.73% at the end of the quarter. During Q1, we completed our substantial issuer bid, repurchasing 4.4 million shares. We began a program of common share buybacks under our normal course issuer bid and bought back 655,000 shares. We also purchased 518,000 shares as treasury shares for future share-based compensation awards. In mid-March, we suspended purchases under the NCIB. The Board and management regularly review all options for productive use of our capital. At this point, we consider it prudent to preserve our capital position until we have greater clarity on the economic conditions ahead. In order to support our mortgage customers in dealing with the challenges imposed by COVID-19, at the end of March, we began a process of allowing deferrals of principal and interest payments where criteria were met. As at April 30, 2020, we provided deferrals of 28.4 million of principal and interest payments, representing approximately 3.9 million of outstanding mortgage balances. By providing these deferrals, we're assisting our customers through these difficult times until improvements in the economy allow them to resume payments. We do not expect these deferrals to have a significant impact on our liquidity and we are treating these loans in accordance with regulatory guidance.
3: I will now turn the call back to Yusri for concluding remarks. Thank you, Brad. Next week on May 13th, we will be hosting our annual general meeting. For the first time, the meeting
2: will be virtual. We made this decision to comply with public health directives and to protect the health of our employees, shareholders, and the community at large. Only shareholders will be allowed to vote at the meeting, but we will, take, we will be taking questions from investors, anal- analysts, and other interested parties following the formal business of the meeting.
3: I hope you will log in to view the virtual AGM. I'll now, now ask the operator to poll for questions.
1: Thank you. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, we ask that you please press star one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a brief moment to compile a Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital. Jeff, your line is open.
5: Hi, good morning. Um, my first question was on the PCL provision, So it's based on economic assumptions as of March 31st, as you mentioned. Um, And I know you use a third party provider to determine those economic scenarios and you probability weight those. Um, But in your opinion, would those scenario assumptions be um, presumably, I guess, unchanged or, or worse if they were to be updated today?
3: Um,
4: Jeff, it's, it's Brad. Um, we did just receive uh, some updated uh, assumptions for April. Uh, they're, they're largely unchanged, uh, and we there were some changes in the overall assumptions and related to uh, unemployment levels and, and uh, housing prices, uh, but applied to uh, our largest portfolio, and, and we did use a severe recession scenario. Uh, there aren't uh, substantial uh, changes there uh, in terms of uh, the forward-looking information. Um, we we do see where it's less um, uh, the models we're applying. Um, we do, I guess, anecdotally expect some uh, slightly worse conditions, more, more focused on uh, our consumer retail portfolio, as opposed to our our larger portfolios, and you would have saw, seen in the last quarter that we did uh, um, take uh, substantial uh, provisions on that consumer retail portfolio.
5: okay, and and, and maybe just on that was um, you know the, the most of the PCL was coming out of the they call it the consumer loan book, which is pretty small for you guys on a relative basis, and then to a lesser extent coming from the commercial book. Um, can you describe like like what were the key drivers and the attributes that were driving the PCLs in each of those lines of businesses?
4: Similar to some of the provisions we we took in prior periods, um, we're looking at uh, the overall financial strength of some of our counterparties, who in turn have uh, uh, their own uh, loan books. So. it's really a reflection of what's happening in in those markets and our expectation of uh, a severe uh, recession.
5: Okay. So it's a, it's a counterparty risk assessment um, as opposed to some Uh, other. Yeah. And and
4: we also sorry, Jeff, we also do look at the the performance of the underlying portfolio.
5: Okay. And just my last question was um, on the mortgages that were deferred, uh, would it be accurate that, um, that all or almost all of those would have not had um, some sort of major provision for credit loss attached to them. And so, to the extent when these deferral periods end um, and that the credit risk uh, is higher, um, that the provision would be reported at that time and therefore not in the Q1? Do you see uh, the
4: the short answer is is no, Jeff. Um, the, the regulatory Guidance that was provided is that uh, a request for deferral is not indicative of uh, delinquency or, or credit issues. Um, we're currently conducting stress tests on the portfolio, but um, the average LTV, geographic distribution, uh, and FICO scores are all—they're um, close to the attributes of the overall. Uh, portfolio uh, the the splits between uh, in roughly uh, eighty eighty percent of the number of residential loans uh, deferred were were classic and in terms of versus uh, our insured portfolio and in terms of value roughly eighty uh, six percent or were um, were classic versus fourteen uh, percent uh, accelerator of, of those total deferrals, so uh, we don't. Uh, we do review that portfolio, and to the extent that that we thought there was credit deterioration, um, they would be part of our overall provisioning. But the the fact that there's a deferral is not indicative. Uh, doesn't automatically make them delinquent or or change their stage assessment.
5: Sorry. Okay. So so that's what it would be if I. Were uh, uh, a borrower that requested the deferral, I would not have been included in the Q one twenty provision for credit loss. But in six months, if my you know my credit risk is higher, that it is at that point. So in six months, that you'll book that provision. Correct.
4: There,
5: there, there is
3: potential for that. Yes, Jeff. Okay. Perfect. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Nick Prieb with BMO Capital Markets. Nick, your line is open.
5: Okay, thanks. Good morning. Um, appreciate the incremental disclosure around the deferred loan balances. I'm wondering if you could uh, give us a sense of what the approximate split uh, would be in the mortgages that have been granted payment deferrals between insured and uninsured loan balances. Like, would that roughly be the same proportion as the mix of the broader portfolio? Uh, well,
3: just uh, I'll. I'll... They'll tell you now,
4: it's um, in terms of value, it's um, 86% uh, uninsured uh, in terms of value, and in terms of the number of loans, it's um, 78% uninsured. That's just in reference to the residential.
5: Okay, okay, that's helpful. And then, what um, I was wondering if you could give us some color on what criteria would have qualified borrowers for loan deferrals in the quarter? Like, you know, presumably temporary job loss is a direct consequence of COVID-19. But, you know, I imagine for the self-employed, there's more discretion involved. Um, So I'm wondering if you could just kind of shed some light on that. Well, I I think
4: we, we initially, um, we had, uh, and and I think sri well, I know you Sri alluded it to it earlier. We had a large influx of of requests and uh, the our bias was to grant the deferrals Um, now, and we've granted them for a two month period. We're now approaching um, a round of where where people who granted initial deferrals are uh, maybe asking for further deferrals. And we're tightening up the criteria, um, looking for uh, more uh, enhanced uh, rationale for why they haven't been able to um, make payments uh, as, as well, where there's uh, any number of, of government programs that have been initiated to uh, try and assist people through this uh, um, very difficult time economically. Uh, um, our overall forecasts assume that, that they'll, they'll be helpful, but uh, they, there will still be issues. So uh, we have our our, our, what we've done is um, we're moving underwriting staff to assist our collections group in assessing these on an individual basis. And we I I think it's it's a matter of judgment for experienced uh, collection and and underwriters as to uh, why we would be granting further deferrals after um, initially having. more, I I think, permissive uh, requirements in the initial phase of the
3: COVID-19 request for deferrals. Okay, Uh, that's
5: all I had for now. I'll re-queue. Thanks.
1: Your next question comes from the line of James Goyne with National Bank Financial. Gwen, your line is open.
6: Uh, Yes, thank you. Good morning. yeah, first, uh, first question still on the uh, payment deferral uh, breakdown and just getting a little bit more color there. Can you give us a breakdown of uh, the maturity timeline of the mortgages that have been uh, approved for payment deferral? What percentage of those or maybe a dollar amount that uh, would have matured in the next three months, for example?
3: Uh, I don't have that right now but uh, we can provide it.
6: Yeah, great. Um and uh, if if I understand the uh the commentary correctly, uh, I just want to clarify this point uh in the classic uh uninsured mortgage portfolio uh, as of April, uh the, uh the the 3.1 billion that's been uh or sorry 3.6 billion that's been deferred 86% of that. Single-family mortgage is classic, and so that would translate to about 28% of classic mortgages are under some form of payment deferral in this program. Is that does that sound about right to you? Uh,
4: I I haven't particularly done that math, Jim, but uh, I'm I'm pretty sure you've done it correctly, and
2: uh, that that's uh, yes. Okay. Okay. Um we, we can uh it's you sweet we can confirm that. I intuitively I think twenty-eight percent is uh too high, but we, we can confirm that, Matt. Okay, thank you. I'd appreciate that. Uh
6: next uh, next line of question, just uh getting away from the payment deferrals into commercial mortgages. Uh I noticed a, a pretty significant uptick in uh in stage two commercial mortgages. Can you just talk about what you're seeing? uh in in uh in those loans specifically and uh, and what drove the movement from stage one to stage two it's
3: related to our probability of default modeling jane
6: it's all model driven okay and what what factors in that model would have driven the significant increase quarter over quarter uh specifically Uh, moody's assumptions worsened Okay, so that's macroeconomic driven then I uh I take it. Yes. Okay. And I guess what um the, the follow on to that then is what uh what, what gives you enough comfort that the that the provision uh related to those loans moving from stage one to stage two also didn't uh you know didn't increase by let's say a a, a similar amount um or do you or was the the increase or uh, provisions related to those mortgages like how did you arrive at that number um, that was provided for in the q one
3: we 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 do run our models
4: uh in terms of taking into account the economic uh of forecasts our probability of 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 default uh, the the loss given default which then generates your expected credit loss the uh, we also take a look and and where appropriate uh, we would use some management judgment in an overlay and uh, in particular when we look at uh, some of the uh, portfolios where we think uh, there may be additional risk uh we can use some uh management judgment, but it's primarily model driven
6: okay and as you're uh, you know as we see this increase in uh let's say risk in commercial mortgages uh and some uh, news or articles that are suggesting that the larger lenders are uh, are are stepping back from the commercial landscape, how are you thinking about commercial mortgage growth uh over the next uh couple of quarters? uh given that framework it, it it's usually i i'm sorry brad go ahead I'll,
2: no I'll, go uh, ahead you three. uh you here james um so uh yeah uh not just the large lenders others have uh backed off as as liquidity became more scarce which provided an opportunity for us on some quality commercial um business uh, but we would look at a commercial loan, taking into account the latest economic data. So the underwriting would incorporate what is what is um, what is expected to be housing information, employment information. So I would say we've tightened, but because of liquidity, we were of other lenders, we were able to uh, grow our book this quarter. Uh, and I, I suspect everyone's going to tighten over
1: the next while.
3: Okay. Okay. Thank you, I'll uh, I'll you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Graham Riding with TD Securities. Graham, your line is open.
7: Uh, yeah, good morning. Just wondering if, could you maybe give us a bit of color or an update on, on what sort of uh, volume or activity you've seen in April? Uh, like what sort of pullback uh, are you seeing in terms of activity? Uh, it's you three, uh, Graham. Um, it's
2: been uh, surprisingly more active than, than we thought. Um, what has changed, I think it's quite public, is the amount of sales in major uh, cities have gone considerably down. Listings are down, I believe, 65%. In Toronto and Vancouver, it's something like 40%. But um, So home sales have gone down. However, refinancing, which means people renewing from uh, one institution to another or our own portfolio borrowing more money, has gone up um, almost offsetting what we would have expected in sales, so it, it's always difficult to say we're ahead or behind normal because there's never a normal, but we have been getting um, more volume than we would have imagined. We thought it would taper off a lot more, uh, but it's still been pretty uh, consistent in more so in refinance than home resales.
7: and and on the home, on the refinance side, do you do you underwrite that? differently than you would uh, uh, an origination? Like, do you view refinancing as slightly higher credit risk? We we
2: use the same underwriting standard,
7: Grant. It is a new deal to
2: us, whether it's from our own portfolio and somebody borrowing more money, or if it's a, a mortgage in an, in an existing institution that's applied to us to transfer to us,
3: we underwrite it in the exact same way as a new loan. Okay. Um,
7: and then uh, the FICO score. One of the charts you showed just showed the the FICO scores of originations. I think it might have been on the classic side uh, relative to the sort of FICO score of the uh, the average FICO score of the portfolio. So it looks like the the originations FICO scores are slightly lower. Is that a is that you making a deliberate effort to uh, to move down the credit spectrum somewhat? You know, in terms of sort of a, a risk reward trade or or how should we think about that? So uh, you know
2: the quarter can be split into two parts. The first quarter, there was everything was normal, and then um, you know, the world went to COVID-19. But normally, in the normal part of our world, most of the quarter, we very much like uh, lower FICO, lower beacon score. We think we understand that market very well. Quite often, uh, boost credit, um, there's a reason for it and we look at that and it's a, it's a part of, it's one of the pillars of our, our mortgages. We, we know how to price it right, we know how to borrow right and we take ultimate protection in LTV. And of course we have to satisfy ourselves that they can pay uh, that mortgage or so. We do like lower score because of better margins and uh, we're, we're targeting that. But again, um, in the back half, Um, we underwrote with more conservatism. We lowered LTVs and major urban centers. We looked at income a little closer. If if somebody was laid off and getting government supplement, we took that into account, but we had to be satisfied why they were laid off. The probability of a job is going to be high or low or medium, and we would know only that by having discussions with our mortgage broker as well with the consumer. So uh, it it just made us... um, more more prudent on on seeing that the income will continue not just what they earned in the past
7: fair enough uh and one last question if i could just for brad um i guess on the net interest margin it looks like you know uh it's coming from both lower funding costs and higher mortgage rates but the heavy lifting of the nim expansion is coming from an expanding uh classic mortgage rate is that Is that a fair assessment? And then just maybe, uh, could you provide us with an outlook? Should we continue to expect them to expand or or what are your thoughts?
4: Uh,
7: It's
4: difficult to provide any kind of forecasting in in the current environment, but what um, I can tell you right now is that we have um, maintained or slightly increased our levels of liquidity and uh, our ability with the decline in interest rates to earn, uh, uh, well, we've seen a decline in, in the average rate that we're earning on our treasury portfolio. Uh, and everything else is really just uh, our ability to to maintain spread. So we saw a peak in uh, some of the uh, uh, market GIC rates uh, at the end of March. Um, that started to decline through uh, April uh, and continues to uh, be at relatively lower levels um, to the end of March. So uh, we don't know yet whether uh, we'll offset uh, the decline on the Treasury portfolio uh, with our ability to maintain spread. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Uh, We don't think that uh, NIM will uh, increase above uh, the 238 that we achieved in uh, Q1. It's uh, um, more likely
3: uh, going to uh, decline. That's
7: helpful. Thank you. It's good for me.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital. Jeff, your line is open.
5: Hi, uh, just um, wanted to look at the the operating expenses. So, if we exclude uh, the IGNITE-related expenses, um, would what you had in Q120 look reasonable as the run rate? And and how does the deteriorating, I guess, economic environment impact how you're thinking about OpEx relative to how you would have thought about it when you reported Q4 results? So, for example, like if you think originations and loan growth are, are going to be slower uh, than what you thought a few months ago or a couple of months ago? Um, would expense growth also be lower?
4: Yeah, I think if you look at our, our non interest expenses, they're, they're down. Um, we have, um, most of our expenses have uh, not increased, uh, with the exception of we did. We did uh, budget uh, some additional advertising um, for Okun. Uh And in addition, um, we had been planning uh, with with larger growth to add to our headcount. And we may add some critical hires, but uh, we're not uh, going to, uh, I think, significantly increase our headcount. And um, we're far more likely to be, as I spoke earlier, to redeploy uh, some of our, our, our trained individuals to work in other areas of the company where we expect to have uh, more activity. And we've seen declines in uh, some of the activity-based expenses uh, in relation to our credit card portfolio, as well as, um, you know, for, for obvious reasons, there's uh, less business travel and other expenses in the current environment. So the the I'll, I'll call it the 60 million uh, run rate uh, in March, um uh, may increase slightly, but it, it won't be at the levels that you saw in uh, Q4 okay. based on our current um, estimates.
5: Okay. And, and you mentioned earlier um, the classic mortgages are getting a two-month uh, deferral. Is it the same? Is it two months for Accelerator, or are they getting kind of six months, which is kind of what other lenders seem to be doing for, for prime mortgages? Uh,
4: We've we based it on a uh, two-month uh Period. Okay. For all of the, um, and for, then, for for all of the residential portfolio.
5: Got it. Okay. And just my last question was just uh, in light of COVID nineteen um, would it would it stand to reason that the pie of the uh, of the non prime mortgage universe in, in Canada is getting bigger, whether or not it's from Bruce Credit or whatnot. Um, in is that a part of the market that you have? some degree of appetite to be going after in the current economic environment, or is that just something where um, it's not necessarily as as attractive to you right now?
3: Uh, Jeff, um,
2: assuming employment is healthy, uh, that's a very attractive market for us. Booze credit with employment, we understand very well, and we know how to look at a deal um, and say the probability is very high of of a full uh, payment uh if the bruised credit is uh attached with high unemployment that's a different story that doesn't appeal to us but you know as the as people get through this uh in, in mortgage deferrals as i i'm sure you know uh it's not affecting people's credit it is specifically not affecting but there may be other payments that people aren't making that may affect their credit and uh you know and then if they do and if they are employed after that then you know that 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 is where home
3: is an expert in that field.
5: Okay, great, thank you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Sahan Tanke. Sahan, your line is open. Sahan, your line is open.
3: Oh, hi. Sorry. Um, my questions have been answered already. Thank you. Thanks, John.
1: And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of James Boyne with National Bank Financial. Jane, your line is open.
6: Yeah, thank you. I just want to uh, dig in and dig into uh, some underwriting changes that may have uh uh, you may have taken recently as a result of the uh, current environment. Uh, can you talk to specifically about some of the items that you have tightened around, uh, LTV, FICO scores, et cetera, uh, and have you applied, let's say, a higher risk rating or, uh, or taking a more conservative approach to specific uh, industries that may be more impacted in the current environment?
3: Um, so a number of
2: things in 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 underwriting as um, I mentioned on another part of an answer we look uh, typically you look at what people made in the past and the probability of them continuing to make that in the future obviously in this environment we do more work on that Um, we will take into account the government uh, subsidies Um, we have also uh, restricted some of the LTVs even within the uh, within certain segments we won't lo- we've lowered how much LTV we will lend um, in in terms of um, uh, in terms of um, uh, types of jobs and so on uh, clearly the ones that are dependent on high people gathering we're looking at uh, closer uh, restaurants or or or, or a business where you know concerts whatever it may be that has high uh, people collection we're in this new normal as it starts coming back we still believe there are going to be restrictions on social distancing but we will look at that a little differently whether it's in the commercial side or the um or the single family residential side Um, so we also are restricting ltv's on uh rentals um, uh, we are also um, in non-core um, re- restricting uh, LTVs even further, as well as looking at uh, beacon scores. So we've tightened to to ensure a, a higher quality uh, of business, but the framework of where we will lend to whom we will lend is the same. It is the diligence behind all of these and restrictions on
6: LTV. Does that help? Okay. Yes, thank you for uh, for that extra caller. Um, as, as I think about the uh, the macroeconomic forecasts that are uh, that are implied in the twelve month outlook, um, I guess what would be the the weighting you have towards the the base case and upside case uh, as disclosed in uh, note five uh, relative to the downside and. If you could give us a, a little bit of a sort of like a range or a, um, uh, a high water mark as to where unemployment rates are projected to go in those forecasts over the next 12 months at a at a peak level,
3: Jim. It's uh, it's Brad. Um, you know the the
4: weightings and the models are are, are a matter of, of judgment that uh, we're we're not. Uh, disclosing uh, it, it we don't I know you're asking the question but uh, the way our models are, are driven um, it, it, we don't think that that waiting is going to provide uh, all that much useful information so we're not uh, disclosing it and uh, the um, sorry the last um, can you just remind me of the last part of your question? Yeah, it was just
6: about unemployment forecasts oh, rate. yeah. within those uh, projections. Where does it peak out, uh, and and how long does that persist? Uh,
4: well, um, I can tell you the unemployment rates are assumed to peak in the in the second quarter, um, and we don't reach uh, pre-pandemic levels until uh, twenty twenty. Uh, the models expect the rise in unemployment to outweigh uh, stimulus uh, provided uh, and the, our model uh, results in a decline in housing prices over the next 12 months. This is all from a, a third party and, and so each of the scenarios show a significant spike in unemployment. GDP declines with varying degrees of recovery and the pre-COVID-19 recovery doesn't occur until uh, 2022. and. We and have, are you able uh, to share
6: where? Sorry, go ahead.
4: And so, just in, um, we've got uh, um, um, an average unemployment rate of eleven point six on the on the downside, uh, and a, a housing price index annual decline of fifteen point six percent in in that scenario. So. Um, in between, there are peaks, and uh, but uh, I, I don't have that for you now, and and we'll probably just be sticking with these uh,
3: annual averages in terms of our disclosure. Okay, thank you. You're welcome.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Graham Riding with TD Securities. Graham, your line is open
7: hi uh two follow-ups if i if i could um just given the whole backdrop uh, backdrop is so fluid would you be willing to provide an update on what you've seen in terms of arrears and how um, origins are performing in, in q2 to date have you seen any noticeable deterioration either in your residential or commercial book uh in q2 to date
3: um we did just um finish the month of of april
4: um we have not uh seen uh a significant increase in uh requests for new deferrals uh and i suggesting to us that there hasn't been a significant increase in uh, delinquencies so far
7: okay helpful and then just just to be clear like the provisioning that you did do in q1 that that did not uh, reflect any of the uh, the deferral uh, volumes or requests that you've seen uh, uh, in uh, through post q120 the is that correct
4: the forward-looking information was all as at March 31st and and the balance is as of March 31st I think we do assess um, the uh, credit uh, uh quality of the entire portfolio at that time and uh, as i said earlier the uh the, the fact that uh anyone has asked for a deferral in these circumstances is not an automatic indicator of uh, credit deterioration uh, or to be treated as a delinquency uh,
7: that's fair but uh is it is it also fair to say that there's some potential that those deferrals will migrate into uh into default uh,
3: yes is uh there is a possibility and okay i just wanted to... and, and similar to
4: our, our other portfolio it's all mitigated by the underwriting uh, ltv
3: and and the uh uh, credit uh, of the underlying individual. Yeah, okay, that's that's fair.
1: This concludes our question and answer session. I will now turn the call back over to Yashubhazada for closing remarks.
3: Well, thank you for all your questions and for your interest in Home Capital Group. We look forward to speaking with you again soon.